I've been kind of pushing to do this episode for a while. Um, I'm interested to see if we can do this in a summer short or if it actually is a much longer <laughs> conversation. Uh, I am a big fan of kind of the first half of the series before everything was answered. And I think it's a really unique take on the idea of the cruelty of nostalgia. And I think we saw a lot of it after this, this franchise started, but I think mm. this was the start of the change in how we view horror, especially. Uh, I don't think it's a mistake that after this, we got a whole bunch of Jordan Peele stuff. Uh, I don't think it's a mistake that we've kind of had a renaissance of uh, anthology series like VHS. Um, I think the Five Nights at Freddy's series is kind of, it was the start of a new wave of horror that connected in a new way with people. And just to give people some context, it has only been since 2014. It has only been eight years since Five, Night, Five Nights at Freddy's came on the scene. And mm. I do think it's probably one of the best indie horror series that yeah. was created in the 2010s. I, yeah. I would say. I, I, I would wager against many things. It's probably one of the best created that I don't know if it's the best in all history, but I think both <laughs> in working with horror and nostalgia and the simple mechanic of fear and being trapped somewhere, it does some really exquisite work in an unexpected, That's... almost taboo way. Uh, but a way that works really well with horror movies we can now like Skinamarink, which is all about uh, childhood and sleep paralysis and psychosis um, and being locked in. And I, I just think it's it's both wonderfully exquisite and also frustratingly almost too lore-driven. And I really, I, I like how, how much it frustrates me as well as how good it is. <laughs> Hello, Magnus. We're here to talk hello. about Five Nights at Freddy's. I promise. I was going to let you say hello at some point. <laughs> it's quite all right. I, I know what it's like to get oneself into a point, and you just need to get that point out, Yeah, shall we say. So I suppose my opening remark should be, I don't think Five Nights really invented the nostalgia horror genre, but certainly it shaped it significantly within even the less than a decade of its existence. And you can tell it has by the sheer amount of <laughs> mascot horror clones that have flooded in its wake, of which I'm sure a lot of our visitor, uh, a lot of our listeners will know many of these. Poppy Playtime, um, Garden of Bam Bam. I could go on with the whole list, shall we say. Um, but the thing is, it's less than a decade into its existence, and it's already a household name. Even people that haven't played or seen the games, if you say Five Nights or Freddy's to them, I'm pretty sure that they'll know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's quite a success story in terms of that, in terms of like establishing an identity and a brand. And people know what you're talking about when they say the name. Yeah. Um, what's interesting and, yep. what's interesting about that is that there are other horror genre um, 
video games, but for whatever reason, they didn't hit the same way. So you could think about the games like Clock Tower. Um, you could think about games like Amnesia that are horror-driven, where you were lost and you don't have a lot of details. You could even talk about things like the Outlast video games. But for some reason, when people like Markiplier and Jacksepticeye started playing these, more people became enamored with the world because it felt like you could ride along with it, I guess. Um, but Markiplier was also doing indie horror games long before Five Nights, even though he's king of Five Nights. So there's something about this particular series yeah. that just did something for people, you know? You Well, you could almost argue it's interesting sort of like symbiotic relationship that's happened between YouTube Let's Players and Let's Player gamers in general and this series. It's sort of they fed into each other and helped each other grow significantly. And yeah. I I do wonder what what channels like Markiplier um Game Theory, who's done about 70 um theory episodes on five nights alone what they would have looked like if five nights hadn't appeared yeah. on the scene i don't think game theory would be around if they hadn't started doing five nights stuff i can't imagine what else what other there's no other horror video game series that has such a deep and intense love of and hatred for lore because lore both expands the series and kind of ruins it at the same time uh the demand for people having consistency and poor scott Cawthorn doing it doing there was there was a couple of years where he was doing two games a year which is mm. just so much work there's something about five nights at freddy's that if it weren't just about the pizza establishment i would almost think of scott Cawthorn as a new sort of R.L. Stein connecting terror and nostalgia and childhood to the adult uh, brain. But the problem is, is that R.L. Stein's work just expanded in a variety of universes. This is very like, even when it's not about the pizza place, it always comes back to the pizza place. Yeah. We're not talking about the freaking book series now, are we? Uh, no, <laughs> that is part of, that is part of it because that is a big part of, the lore of the newer games is that you're almost expected to know some of the lore from the books instead of the other way around now. Uh, but in it, but what's really interesting is that I think about when I think about Scott Cawthorn, I also think about the output of what R.L. Stein did. I think a little bit about my love for um, Rod Serling, who created. Uh, the Twilight Zone and Night Gallery and using the anthology to get across a series of ideas. This is really very narrow. So Five Nights doesn't quite get Scott to those places, but you have like mm -hmm. Christopher Pike that did a very specialized niche genre series. I would also argue, I think for Five Nights at Freddy's, I connect with it because I have a love for... Uh, Disney animatronics and Disney rides like mm -hmm. the Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean, where you do have this almost not quite living, but you could see that if they walked around at night, you wouldn't be surprised sort of 
um, horror bent that Five Nights easily lends itself to. Uh, the first video game for me, even though it has the least successful jump scares, I think is just enough lore that's probably the most successful in the franchise for me. Um, the, the introduction of the concept, it's not just unique at that point, but it's also um, an incredibly rare video game experience where you are trapped. It's a very simple mechanic and you don't yes. get lost in all the extras. It's you have to survive these five and then six nights um, without getting your face eaten off by living Chuck E. Cheese-like creatures. It's so simple and it works so beautifully because it's like everything in your childhood you ex you kind of suspected the Chuck E. Cheese characters were capable of, but Sometimes it's made yeah. manifest. And I, and I love that so mm. much. Well, that's the thing. Like, you're talking about, like, the first game, so such, and you said previously that you have a love for the first part of the series. Yeah. What's interesting, what's an interesting, or dare I say academic viewpoint to take with this series? You can see in real time, within the less of the span of this decade, how it went from a new idea indie darling on the scene that grabbed people's attention something like as you say it's simplistic yet there's also something really like attention grabbing about it you can see the transition from indie darling to mainstream saturated franchise like and a lot of a lot of franchises take more time to transition to that but you can almost see it happening game by game the games become more active they become more sleeker you start to see like new mechanics and stuff added um you were you were almost seeing this like before security breach yeah landed i would argue you see it in five nights of freddy's four which was supposed mm -hmm. to be the final five nights of freddy's game for a long time scott said hey guys, I'm getting burnt out. This is going to be the last one I do for a while. Um, the transition into 4, which is really driven more by the minigames and the lore and the little cutscenes than it is about the gameplay itself. And then 4 especially, you start to see it where the books and the lore don't just start to influence how the gameplay is created, but then mm. things happen later to go back and explain the thing that you see. And it goes from being weird and effortless and nightmare into just almost too much information. Five Nights at Freddy's 2 works because there's more information, but it also doesn't work because we're getting to the crux of too much. Mm. Um, and the Five Nights at Freddy's 2 design, I don't think is yeah. good. The Five Nights at Freddy's 2 is where it starts to feel busy, it, and but it's also where you get the more successful, like, take uh, give cake to the children mm. minigame. So you have kind of like, I think even in 2, Scott could see kind of the double-edged sword coming, but I don't know if he yeah. knew how to avoid it. But Five Nights at Freddy's 1 what? is such mm. unexpected simplicity, it's a hit in the way something like Amnesia, Oblivion, and, and Outlast couldn't mm. be. It's going to have all of these predecessors later on 
um, like not even like um, Poppy Playtime, but movies like Nicolas Cage and Willy's Wonderland, which does mm-hmm. like a horror action thing on it. <laughs> and it's going to influence the VHS series later. Um, I loved when it was a fan revamp and there was the one game that didn't get made but it had that uh it had that same feeling of the girl that's like going she's doing like a paranormal ghost investigator things and she sneaks into five nights of freddy's and she literally ends up in like the worst place to be at midnight in the five nights of freddy's universe which is the parts and services closet um and so the fans at some point I think by sister location, even though it got silly, I think the fans at that point understood it better than the people that were in charge. Like it like it became a <laughs> runaway success just a little too. And that's not to ding Scott. It's not to ding Still Wool. It's not to ding the security breach folks. Um, I think it's still a very serviceable brand. But you can see there's a lot of difference in the different games and kind of how much success can take a toll on a brand that may have not been made for success. Uh, I don't know Scott, so I don't know how much he thought people were going to love this game, but like there, there's a weight to Five Nights at Freddy's that I think may have sunk down Scott a little bit. <laughs> well, I remember that this was going to be his last attempt at creating a successful game because um, yeah. he'd had lots of failures previously. So he decided to give it one last go, and he created Five Nights. So for a last attempt, it was a successful attempt. Um, He has made comments previously via avatars in the game and such of how he does agree that the lore is complicated. It gets heavy. It sometimes gets somewhat contradictionary. And he asks people just to sort of take it with a like a, a pinch of salt you know sometimes there's so much going on that to try and fit everything into a complete picture it, it's just mind-numbing it's incredibly difficult and it's not satisfactory when you're trying to when you're trying to force like everything into a square hole so to speak yeah. um and to be honest that's kind of real life to be honest as well you know not everything is going to make sense and you're never going to have the complete picture but humans have this i forget what the what exactly it's called it's a complete it's the syndrome behind complete completionism we got to feel we can make everything orderly that we make everything fit all the facts line up and sadly for five nights it's got people so invested in the law they need that perfect cake. <laughs> I actually, so what I loved about Five Nights at Freddy's 2 when we mm. first got our first mini game was that the lore left people talking and it didn't decide. And I kind of liked that because there's something about a kid's perspective in seeing events that's different than adults' perspective. Mm. So actually, yes. I prefer when the lore didn't answer any questions and it was like something we were talking about. Uh, there was a communal aspect to it. It felt the way you felt when you read your first Goosebumps book and you like brought it mm. to the other kids on the playground. Um, I do think originally the mini games were pretty genius. Um, they were unexpected. You had to hunt for them. 
um, even when you saw Markiplier playing them or anything like that, it really felt like you were discovering something. Um, but it didn't take away from the main crux of the franchise, which was this dilapidated pizza establishment and all of these things that were coming alive that just aren't supposed to come alive. Um, just the idea of this terrifying golden brown bear in a top hat just coming after you and screaming at you and murdering you. Um, the fan love for Foxy the pirate, the pirate-themed mm -hmm. fox that lives in Pirate Cove. Um, even in the first game, the first time everyone saw the posters change, where they show Freddy's head coming off, but it's like a secret thing you only get if you do the secret thing. That's effective yeah. storytelling, and it felt like both it was never there was never an attempt at recreating it but that there was an attempt that scott was pushed into that didn't pan out as well because it doesn't feel as organic i don't think it's bad i think you mm. can see it in five nights of freddy three where he's really trying to wrestle the series back where he's like yes it's a horror game so let's set it in a horror world but it, it just feels like they were trying to push scott into something that by the time we get to like the the rpg one yeah the, the rpg spinoff mm -hmm. that he's like really wrestling with the success of something that got away from him a little bit almost it would have been better yeah. if it had only been like a thing only a few people knew about it and it was just enough to pay the bills and they yeah. got like one every two years like i can only imagine that mm -hmm. version of five nights of freddy's well the thing is to create something of quality and that has, you know, that has everything really working well for it. A person needs time to work on those ideas. They need time to make everything make sense. It does, as you say, it does feel that Scott was on a minecart and it was gathering speed and it was gathering pace. And yes, you were getting all of this success and all this interest for in your way. But is there any way to really slow down the car enough to give you that chance to really polish everything um there was something about oh i forget when was the pizza simulator game was that six uh, that's 2017 and that is six uh pizza simulator six. is is six yeah now from a narrative perspective i think scott always knew how he wanted to finish the Five Nights of Freddy's story. There's a sense of finale and closure there. However, I get the feeling that even though he had the basic ideas down pat, that, you know, that you said that was 2017, right? That yeah, with that 2017. Yeah. Six games in three years, basically. And That's all insane. the additional projects. Like, yeah. there's no way that everything is going to be. 100% ready to function and it, I still I, I do love that conclusion I think it narratively it's fantastic and I love what they did with it but I, I really feel for the guy yeah <laughs> I don't think any of the games on their own are so bad that you should throw them away I think they all have interesting no. elements if we didn't get sister location we don't get circus baby so we don't hear about Elizabeth and the ice cream grabbing yeah. animatronic that will eat you from inside out by, by any means. Yeah. 
Free really introduced Springtrap and such and set up a lot of stuff there and made quite an iconic um, mascot villain. But I think Free might be the weakest gameplay-wise and narratively. It, it, it really does feel like a connection between 2 to 4 and 5. Yeah. Uh, I think 3 was trying hard to hold on to the elements of stationary. And it's after yeah. 3 we really start to see the idea of wandering. Uh, which yes. now we see in Security Breach, it's come full circle, really. Um, yeah. Hmm. I liked 3 as a concept because I like I liked the idea of this is a hallucination. It's all in your mind. These are broken. This is a broken down world. Because in one, it's dilapidated, but it's just like kind of weird and funky and night. Um, in two, things are getting closed down. Three is like full-fledged horror game. And I think mm. if you did Five Nights at Freddy's 3 as its own film, a la like Funhouse or something, that it would work. And that might be kind of the vibe of the film. Um, mm. It's hard to say. The, the film is, they've been trying to make this damn film for like four years. So oh. <laughs> I'm glad Matthew Lillard is I on board because I have some faith. But like, they've been trying to make this film for a long damn time. <laughs> okay, if we're going to just briefly touch on the film in this part, I'm going yeah. to get it out of my system. My One of my little crushes, Josh Hutchison, is here. And yeah. It, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I he know was it's great in Future Man. I'm looking forward to seeing him do it. Like, I think he'll be a great Mike or Phil or whatever his character's mm -hmm. name is. Yeah. Um, I know it's typical of me to bring out the boys and such, but I, I don't know why. I've just had a long, a long-standing crush on his sort of soulful, at times melancholy face and attitude and i just he's just the sort of boy you want to take in a hug and gently pat his hair and you know before that's everything nice. else that's nice <laughs> uh yeah so the movie is coming uh ruin which is the dlc for security breach that i have been watching the plays of these happen i'm not going to spoil them because that has been a request um mm. but i've been watching them and i am pleasant i feel pleasant about it i will say i find them very pleasant um, I there are some great parts of brilliance in the new part of Five Nights at Freddy's. I'm thinking specifically of the Curse of Dread Bear, the Help Wanted Halloween DLC, mm. where you get specific Halloween-themed versions of your favorite characters. Um, I remember Five Nights at Freddy's 2, the first time we saw going to forget the name, Female Foxy, the one that is the different things oh. the kids were putting together oh, um, mangle mangle i thought mangle was a genius idea and a great direction mm. to take foxy in it didn't occur to me they would be their own separate character so like every game has its own specific thing if you want humor sister location gives you that along with the horror it gives you the exotic mm. butters and that weird ongoing soap opera thing um it does <laughs> leave you unsettled but it sister location especially for me i know that Markiplier likes that game, Astral Spiff likes it, and Pizza Simulator. But for me, Sister Location is really, if 4 was Scott feeling like I really want to end the series now, Sister Location was like someone coming in to tell him, no, you need to make us $20 million, so get as close <laughs> as you can. I don't think it's bad. There are some good things in it. It's an interesting way to approach the series. But it doesn't really feel, it feels like you cross more 
because it always felt, even though it was an animatronic science fiction-y type of series, it always did feel more dilapidated horror, a little bit of neo-gothic, very much like broken down suburbia. Sister Location has really started to move it more in the sci-fi direction. And we see that yeah. happening it, more in Help Wanted. We see it in Security it, Breach. Yeah. It's not bad, but it crosses a line you can't go back onto necessarily. Yeah, you've gone from closed in, dilapidated spaces to Sister Location, which is clearly an active functioning company, which is going out to parties and such. And there's clearly like shenanigans going on here and so you're in a way you're you've gone from be in the aftermath of the tragedies that have happened previously and you're very much sort of in the midst of it going on i also don't think as far as villainous intent goes hmm. in the books especially i get the sense from the book i haven't really read the book so i could be wrong but i get the sense from the book the books influence the idea to go from it being about individual characters trapped in suits to being this like soul light remnant thing that then becomes like living but isn't yeah. and it's very it's it's uh, too much it's 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 too much for my little brain oh. like if i was eight years <laughs> old i'd be like yeah. nope and i'm done and see that's oh, it's all for me oh it's not just remnant anymore now you've got anger or resentment you've got two types of soul energy that's affecting yeah, things and like i liked it when it was just holy crap there are bodies in these suits that's bad they're coming to eat me like the simplicity <laughs> of the first four villainous animatronics and then the, you get the marionette in two and you get the you get the understanding of who the marionette is and two it's very sad you get three where you get spring trap back as scrap trap and you get the weirdness of balloon boy but then you get to four and you start to get the monster versions and then it gets retcom later that the monster versions are really important or it's in the first book um i love the idea of the series and it just bothers me that it feels like it got away from authorial intent i don't think it it's bad but it did it's not <laughs> I just remember in 2014 when Five Nights at Freddy's 1 came out and it hmm. felt it had this really new special energy and I had been feeling people really gravitate to how can we take nostalgia and bring it into horror and make it very special and I had seen it a little bit but I'd never seen anything like Five Nights at Freddy's doing this because it was almost the taboo of we don't want to do something that we can't take back because Five Nights is really the nth degree of what happens when Chuck E. Cheese fails. What happens when this thing that we loved as a kid that feels safe and enthusiastic really goes dark and shadowy. And so it feels kind of like a taboo of once you've crossed that line, you can't come back from it. But then you can't you can't keep crossing lines and eventually you have to be like, I'm good. This is where the masterpiece ends, you know? And I mm. don't think it's all Scott's fault um, by no. his imagination. He's one man and and like some of the fans that were bad actors that were leaking stuff and mm. were like i just i i cannot even imagine that unprecedented level of success i hope to imagine it someday i hope it won't ruin me <laughs> um yeah it's not to say they're completely bad games by any stretch but like looking yeah. at 
one versus security breach. They're so different. Mm. So something I was thinking just, well, first of all, I'll say my wacky idea I've just had, and then I'm going to mention something about security breach. What would you feel like a Five Nights at Freddy's, like, sort of rock horror musical? Like, over-the-top, phonetic energy, like uh, Rocky Horror sort of thing. I mean, it, it can't be any worse than Starlight Express was. I actually think you could do, because there is a really great musical they made for Evil Dead, and they made a Carrie musical, which isn't as good. But, like, if you can make a musical for Evil Dead, you can make a musical for Five Nights. I, I think there is, nostalgia would work in its favor, because even within Five Nights at Freddy's, there is, there is nostalgia. All the music we hear in Five Nights at Freddy's 1, especially, the Toreador song is a real famous remix of a mm. very famous old song. It has, like, an ice cream truck feel to it. So yeah, you could totally do it. There's absolutely no reason you couldn't make this into a rock musical uh, that frightens us all. It would have to probably be very Lion King, and it would use a lot of puppets. I'm guessing. Yeah. But I see no reason why it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you. Um, have you seen in the last couple of years the um, interest around the back rooms and spatial horror? Uh, yeah, I really liked it. Actually, what I loved is the idea of using spatial horror um, as philosophy. So there was a game that Markiplier played called Perspective or mm. something like that, uh, where it had a backroom feel, but you were solving a philosophical question of what happens when you can't sleep. So I really, I really like yeah. that. Yeah. So Five Nights 1 to 5, they were indoors, they were sort of claustrophobic, you were kind of trapped within what was familiarness to you with nostalgia, but now has turned dark and run down and such. Um, Five Nights Security Breach tried to take it in a different direction, again, trapping you in somewhere nostalgic, but there was so much open space. I feel what they were trying to achieve with it didn't work, but if they found a way to incorporate a sort of backrooms-esque horror of the familiar but also at the same time taking it so familiar and then twisting it that it becomes unsettling that might have been a yeah. great way to take it i also do think william afton represents kind of that 80s late 80s early 90s when everyone was doing satanic panic and stranger mm -hmm. danger stuff william afton does represent that iconic brand of villain that you don't expect i think if this mm. had been done as a film tv or a film or tv miniseries i mm. could i could see william afton in the first three stories being very much like a michael myers type character unfortunately yeah. now we know so much about him that it's almost too much and he's too human but there was a time where I thought that Springtrap was going to overtake. Like, like the like I felt like the fans had the sense of justice and that Springtrap as a villain was becoming so iconic. He was actually overtaking Freddy as the brand, mm. uh, to be honest. And I, I missed Foxy too. I missed 
after it like after the third game when foxy becomes like less of a thing you don't see him as much yeah and it's no ding against monty gator and things like that i like the idea <laughs> of, of a gator wearing sunglasses but for me the breakout star was really foxy and then freddie was kind of the head keeping the world together but yeah. at some point all of the side characters started to eclipse freddie and mm. Freddy's back in control and security breach, but it doesn't feel like he's in control of the world any, any anymore in a way. I, I don't know if that makes no. sense. It made more sense in my head as I was it, thinking it. No, no, I, it makes sense. I mean, it the game is Five Nights at Freddy's, and Freddy in the first game was the main threat. Compared, you know, the the other band members were, you know, his bandmates, not yeah. you know the lead stars and such. Whereas Freddy in this game became um, your sidekick <laughs> to your annoying little uh, vulnerable kid character. It's true. Or your walking tank. Um, I won... So, in terms of, like, fret, and like you mentioned about Afton and such, Yeah. well, they've introduced the concept of the hellish afterlife in this thing, and Afton's been dragged down to it. Eh, there's nothing to say that he won't be transformed into an evil demonic monster that comes back to terrorize children. <laughs> but here's the thing, though, is in 1, 2, and 3, it felt more present. It felt like he was clawing his way out of hell back into the suit that he was damned to walk in. It had a very, almost Mr. Freeze from, from Batman, where he's kind of trapped, and the trap of the suit is what's actually keeping him in mm. check. Um, and, and that's something that's really like, because they made him the hyper villain of the series, and we know so much more about him, and he's still the main villain, but it's almost better, in this case, not to know. And mm -hmm. and it's something that once you know, you can't really take away the knowledge. So even watching yeah. the old videos back now, now mm -hmm. it's like, oh, that was something that's going to get retconned. Oh, that is something that's not going to matter. Oh, that's something we're never going to see again. Um, I was really excited for Security Breach. The other part of it is that Security Breach had so many bugs in its release that, mm. like, it made gameplay hard. And yep. that was the oh, first I... time that had really happened in the series that I knew of. And that was that was difficult yep. to watch the fall from grace just on a playability. Yeah, level. and also the bad gameplay mechanic design with the end with the uh <laughs> after yeah. six six a.m function thank christ they they managed to sort that out but yeah, yeah it was so it really did <laughs> screw itself up a little bit sadly yeah so do you have anything uh do you have anything you want to say as we kind of reach the end of the conversation on five nights as a as a french the five mm. night franchise as it were um, I would say that I'm quite excited to see where it goes in the future. Um, we are going to be having the 10th anniversary next year. Um, they seem to be ramping up for a few surprises with it. Um, it's been interesting to have sort of lived from the start of what was, yeah, yeah, it was the start of like a really popular, um, franchise that's just kept going. I don't think it's going to run out of steam for quite some time. Yeah, to be honest, so, I would love to work well, on it. Like, if they like what I do, like, call me. I'll have to work on it. And I do think, horror. I do uh, think characters like Sundrop and Moondrop are really interesting. 
I think yeah. for pure nightmare fuel, nightmare fuel, um, even in ruin, uh, if you see them in ruin, I'm not going to spoil it, but if you see them in ruin, just the idea of them in a ruined state, going yeah. from already these almost demonic uh, vulture entities into that is really great. Um, there were some things that I loved. I actually really liked the brazen sci-fi neon almost art deco 80s feel of security breach it was just the gameplay really got in the way of the success of that game um i like the five nights of freddy's franchise i wouldn't say i'm obsessed with it by any stretch no it's certainly not going to overtake something like little shop of horrors where mm. the puppet style is so important to the story but i think five nights of freddy's as neo horror is up there with what Jordan Peele has done. It's very different, of course, but it's really up there with how we approach, how we tell horror stories in a world where the scariest thing is where we live, to be perfectly honest. The scariest thing is people in power. But like when I think about Five Nights at Freddy's, it's on not quite the same level in a different way, but it's on that level of with the things that, you know, Jordan Peele uses to wrestle with. In, especially mm. in us, where it's such an unexpected callback to things that you don't even expect. Um, and I'm excited to see where the series goes as well. Mm. For all the critique, I'm still tuning in uh, to the series. I just don't have very much merchandise because why would I want a demonic teddy bear in my house? Like, why? Um, but ours is to why, and next time we will why more on everything is gay, even the straight stuff. I think uh, we'll be back with longer form episodes soon when we have another summer short. Uh, but we'll see, and we'll see you next time on everything is gay, even the straight stuff. Ta-da! Bye! Ta-da! Bye!